I invite your attention to Colossians chapter 1. I was reading and came across a phrase in chapter 12, or verse 12, excuse me, giving thanks unto the Father. And that just leaped off the page at me, and I thought, boy, I'd like to preach on that. So Lord willing, that's what I'm going to do. Now, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was in prison in Rome, and Epaphras, the pastor at Colossae, had come to visit Paul. He told Paul about the church there at uh, Colossae. He told uh, Paul about the faith in Christ that the people had there. He told Paul about their love for Christ, their love for the people of God. told Paul how the gospel had come to them in power. Now, like I said, my intention is to, verse 12 here, but giving thanks unto the Father. But that's in the middle of a sentence, middle of a thought. So we've got to go back here to the beginning of his thought and see what he says coming down here. And after Paul hears about their faith and and their love, in verse 9, he shows a true preacher's heart in his reaction to this news. He says in in verse 9, For this cause, because of this news we received of you, Paul never met them, but this is what the report he'd received of them. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now Paul says, I know the Lord saved you. And my immediate and constant prayer since I heard that is that you grow in grace and knowledge. He says, I pray that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, no one can know the secret will of God. No one can know how the events of providence may unfold. Uh, No one can know who the elect of God are. I don't care what people tell you. They haven't figured out any prophecy about the time of, of Christ's return. Only God knows those things. That's his secret will. What Paul here is talking about is that you may be filled with the knowledge of the revealed will of God. God's will that's revealed in his word, in the scriptures. What is God's will in redemption? We can know that because he tells us what his will is in his word. The Father's will in redemption is that his people be saved by, in, and through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ came into this world... He said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. I've come to do thy will. This is the Father's will, that everyone which seeth the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. I'll redeem them all, save them all. And this is the will of the Father we need to know about. Look over in John chapter 1. This is God's will in redemption. In John 1, verse 11, He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power. He gave them the privilege, the power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. Salvation is of the will of God, the will of the Father. And I want to know his will in redemption. And I don't just want to know his will. I don't want to know the ABCs, the doctrinal points of salvation. I want to love the way that God saves sinners through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know that. We know his will, don't we? We've heard that preached. We know it. Danny, I want to know it more. I want to know more fully, more deeply his will and salvation. And that's what Paul prays for these people. He doesn't just pray that you have some knowledge. He says, I pray you be filled with this knowledge, filled with the Spirit, showing you the things of Christ. I pray that you have a knowledge born from experience. Not, Paul's not just talking about having a head knowledge of facts and figures. He's talking about understanding from experience your sinfulness, your inability, because you've experienced the failure of your flesh. He's talking about understanding the mercy of God in Christ because you've experienced God's mercy in your sinful soul. And if you're filled with that kind of knowledge, if you're filled with it, you're not going to be blown about with every wind of false doctrine because you're filled with it. If you're filled with the knowledge of Christ, there's not going to be room for error, is it? Because you're already full. There's not going to be room for error. And again, Paul's not praying now for just a head knowledge. He prays it for wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, knowledge without wisdom foolishness. Now I'll give you two examples. A man gets him some knowledge of science and he develops the theory of evolution. His knowledge is foolishness. It's knowledge without wisdom. A man gets him some doctrine. He gets him, he can read the scripture, he can read some old writers, he gets a hold of some doctrine and he'll pound his pet doctrine until the cows come home and never lay hold on Christ. His knowledge is foolishness without wisdom. Knowledge is the horse. Wisdom's the driver that drives that horse. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Solomon understands the, the importance of getting wisdom. In Proverbs 3, verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding for the merchandise of it. The merchandise of this wisdom is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. Oh, it's getting this wisdom so precious. Look over a page at chapter 4, verse 5. Here's some good instruction for all of us, for our young people. Listen to what Solomon says. Get wisdom. Get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth, forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. In all you're getting, go out and get an education. Go out and do these things. In all you're getting, don't forget what you're taught here. Get understanding. Seek understanding. Ask God to give it to you. Ask God to give you understanding and wisdom. Because now listen, 
This wisdom Solomon's talking about is not just wisdom in the world. Oh, that's a good thing to have. He's talking about spiritual wisdom. He's talking about laying hold on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom. Christ has made unto us wisdom. He is our wisdom. Lay hold on him. And if you lay hold on him, if you have him, you'll have understanding. You'll have wisdom. So first, Paul prays that these folks would have an understanding of God's will. And second, he prays that these believers would understand God's will in their walk through this world. Now, get understanding, and understanding will direct your steps and your walk through this world. Knowledge. Get knowledge, but get wisdom. Knowledge without wisdom, knowledge without understanding is useless. That knowledge has to be put into practice. You cannot separate faith and conduct. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 10 of Colossians 1. This is continuing of his prayer, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, Paul's talking about this walk, is our conduct. He's not just talking about our conduct here in the worship service. He's talking about our conduct at home, our conduct on the job, our conduct in the neighborhood, and our conduct when we're alone, when nobody's watching over your shoulder, to walk worthy of the Lord. Now, what is it to walk worthy of the Lord? Unto all pleasing, to walk pleasing God. Now, I'm real interested in that, are you? I'm interested in walking worthy of the Lord. Well, to walk worthy of the Lord is to conduct myself in a way that reflects well on the grace and the mercy and the glory of our Redeemer. It's walking in a manner, conducting myself in a manner that matches my profession of faith. You know, people I work with, they know I go to church and they you know, think of me as a religious person. Now I need to conduct myself in a way that matches that profession of faith, faith in Christ. I need to conduct myself. If I want to walk worthy of the Lord, I will conduct myself in a way that people can say, I take note. He's been with Jesus. That's what they said about the disciples. They took note. They've been with with Jesus. Well, now, how on earth do I do that? By faith. It's by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You want to walk pleasing God? It must be by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's living your life looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And Paul gives us three ways here that a believer walks worthy of the Lord. The first one is being fruitful. He says, being fruitful in every good work. Now, you know good and well, Scripture is not teaching us that we need to work hard to produce all this fruit, you know, Because it's not our fruit. (laughs) It's not our fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not our fruit. Christ is the vine. We're the branches. He produces the fruit. We bear the fruit. But it's His fruit. We don't want our fruit. I can produce some fruit. But we don't want our fruit. Because our fruit is going to be produced from the flesh. It's going to be rotten, deadly fruit. But look over in Colossians 5. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, this is the fruit of the flesh. They're manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I've told you also in times past, that they which do such things not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the fruit of the Spirit, and it produces, or the fruit of the flesh, and it produces death. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. There's no law. You can't be too fruitful in these things. No law against producing too much of the fruit of the Spirit. And I'll tell you how we produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's through this knowledge and wisdom that Paul talked about earlier. The more you learn of Christ through his word, the more you learn of Christ through the preaching of the word, the more fruit you'll bear. The more you're fed and watered, the more fruit you'll bear. Walk being fruitful in every good work. Secondly, a believer walks worthy of the Lord, increasing in the knowledge of God. If you're alive, you've got to grow. If you're not growing, you're dead. We must grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. And our attitude is not, well, the Lord saved me. I don't have anything else to learn. Good grief. You know, that's like somebody, well, the Lord saved me when I was nine. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And never seek him again. That's not salvation. That's not growing in grace and in knowledge. Now listen, when the Lord saves a man, the Lord saves a woman, you know everything that's necessary for salvation. You know him. It's just like an infant when it's born. That infant has everything that's required for life. You've got everything it's ever going to have, but it's going to grow, isn't it? It's going to grow. We must know him more fully. Henry said this. This is, this is Henry. Ignorance in believers dishonors God as much as fruitlessness. Ignorance dishonors God as much as fruitlessness. And I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you think you know about God. What you know about God would rattle around in a thimble. No matter how much we know, we need to know more. The Apostle Paul said, oh, that I might know him. <laughs> that I might know him better. And listen, it's not just more doctrine we need to know. It's not more Bible trivia. We need to know more of Christ, of Christ and him crucified. Who he is, what he did, why he did it, and where he is now. It's all him. Well, now how on earth am I going to do that? <laughs> I'm so rotten. How am I going to have the fruit of the Spirit? I'm so hateful. How am I going to be loving? I'm so proud. I mean proud and arrogant and full of myself. How am I going to be meek? I'm so impatient. How am I going to be long-suffering? I, I don't know if you all feel that way or not, but now I do. I read about patience, and I'm the most impatient person ever. How on earth am I going to be long-suffering? How can I be fruitful? I'm just dead. 
How am I going to increase in the knowledge of, of Christ? I'm so ignorant. I'm so dull of hearing. Oh, it's embarrassing. How am I going to increase in knowledge? I'm going to take all the pressure off. <laughs> it's just like the rest of your salvation. It's not through your strength. It's through his. It's through Christ. Look at verse 11 back in our text, Colossians 1. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. A believer bears the fruit of the Spirit and increases in the knowledge of God through the strength of Christ in you. It's not your power. It's through his glorious power working in you. The glorious power of Christ gives you patience. It makes you patient. It gives you patience to run the race that's set before you. It gives patience under trial and affliction. It gives you patience to wait on the promises of God. He promised it. He'll fulfill it in his time. It gives you patience to wait for the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, the more you know about Christ, the more patient you'll be. This is the importance of growing in knowledge and wisdom. The more you know, that you know, not just with the head knowledge, but through this knowledge that's born from experience, the more you know he's in control, the more patient you'll be. The more you know of his character, he'll keep his word, he'll keep his promises, the more patient you can be. The glorious power of Christ is what enables a believer to be long-suffering. I know... (laughs) People can wear you out. I mean, just utterly wear you out. I'm sick of it. The power of Christ is what enables you to be slow to anger and ready to forgive. The more you know how long-suffering Christ is with you and your sin, the more I know, that Christ is long-suffering with me. Maybe I can be long-suffering if people say the wrong thing. Now they don't act the way I want them to. I don't either. The more I understand God's long-suffering to me, the more long-suffering I'll be with people. It's the power of Christ that enables us to be joyful, to go through this life with joyfulness. Now, that's a blessing. People are not happy in this world. I mean, they're just not happy. that We have so much in this time, and people are not happy anywhere. I got a text from my daughter Savannah this week, and she said, it's a good day. She said, this is an easy day to say, this is the day that the Lord's made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Aren't you thankful? Lord gives you days like that. He gives you days. I can be joyful for a blessing of those days. But now it takes the strength of Christ in me, his glorious power to be joyful in the day of trial, in the day of trouble. And he gives that strength. And the more I know of Christ, of who he is, of his person, of his character, the more cheerfully 
and joyfully I can face those days of trial. Only someone who really knows Christ can esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the riches of this earth. Knowing Christ lets me understand that my salvation and my standing before God has absolutely nothing to do with my fleshly circumstances. None whatsoever. Job lost it all. Lost it all. And from what I understand, that trial went on for seven years. Did it affect his standing before God? No, it did not. Made Job miserable. Miserable. Didn't affect his standing before God. And you can experience joy even in the worst of trials when you don't look at the trial. I'm not saying the trial won't hurt. It'll hurt. Job was in misery. But you can have joy. When you don't look at the trial, look away from yourself and look to him. Look to Christ and the sac- who gave himself a sacrifice for your sin. And someone will say, well, now it's hard not to think about the pain and the disappointment. That's true. It is hard not to think about those things and look at those things. But remember, I can do all things. Which Christ, in Christ who strengtheneth me. I don't know if you guys noticed, we went out, there's a new uh, yogurt place in town. We went out last night and had some yogurt. There's a fellow with that on the back of his shirt. I can do all things with Christ who strengtheneth me. And I thought, amen, brother. It's through his strength. None of mine, it's all of his. And the third way, a believer, I said all that to get here. The third way a believer walks worthy of the Lord is by giving thanks unto the Father. Giving thanks unto the Father, Paul says in verse 12. Now, all creation should give thanks unto the Father. Everywhere we should find thanks unto God. But now believers ought to be known as a people who are a thankful people. Oh, we have so many reasons to be thankful. We can't list them. And listen, it's impossible to walk worthy of the Lord without giving thanks unto the Father. Eight times, Scripture says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he's good, for his mercy endureth forever. I look at things that are, you know, once is enough. I mean, it says one time in God's word it's enough, but I I like looking at things that are repeated in, in Scripture. Eight times it says, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he's good. Regardless of what's going on with our fleshly circumstances, he's good. He never changes. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Walking worthy of the Lord. In verse 16, here is Paul's final instructions in this epistle. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You can't walk worthy of the Lord outside of his will. And this is his will for us, that we give thanks in all things. And Paul gives us, back in our text, Colossians 1, four reasons every believer 
can give thanks unto the Father. First, he says, which, has, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's made us meet to be partakers of glory. Now, this word meet means to render fit, to make fit, to make sufficient, or to be qualified, make qualified. And every believer is fit to enter into heaven. Every believer is sufficient. You have everything you need to enter into heaven. Every believer is qualified to enter into glory. If you know Christ, if your trust and your faith is in him, you are just as qualified to enter into heaven as Moses is right now because it's in Christ. Now, we're certainly not that way by nature, are we? By nature, we're unfit, completely unfit to enter into glory. What we're meet for is wrath, destruction. That's what we're fit for. But if God puts you in his Son, if God washed you in the blood of his Son, if God clothed you in the righteousness of his Son, you are without question fit, sufficient. Who's sufficient for these things? Everyone in Christ. You're made sufficient. In Christ, you are qualified in every way to enter into his presence. Oh, give thanks for he's good. Second, we give thanks because we've been made partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, this is not just giving thanks that you have an inheritance and now you're on easy street. Boy, my rich uncle died and gave me an inheritance. I'm on easy street now. Not giving thanks. I don't know how to, if I'm saying this right, for the inheritance, for the blood. You're not giving thanks for streets of gold and the mansion and these things. We're giving thanks, not that you have an inheritance, but why you have an inheritance. This word partaker means one who is assigned a portion, one who is assigned a share. Well, who's a partaker in an inheritance? In an inheritance, when the will is read, who is assigned a portion? Children. Children. The moment you are born again, you are completely qualified to be an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Children. We're adopted into the family of God. The moment that child is adopted, they're an heir of the Father. And we're born again. Born into the family of God. The moment that child is born, they're an heir of the Father. Can you say a double? Double. Joint heirs with Christ. And this is why I'm saying, don't just give thanks for the blessing. Be thankful for all the blessings of God, but don't get caught up in the blessing. Give thanks that you've been made a child, that you've been made a son, you've been made a daughter of God. Understanding that is the difference between a mercenary and a son. A mercenary does what he does for pay for reward, for what gain he can get out of it. A son does or a daughter does what she does because she's a daughter, because she's a son. That's all the difference in the world. Now, believer, you've been made a son. You've been made a daughter of God. Then walk like it. Be thankful for it. That's a blessing from God. 
Third, we give thanks for the deliverance from sin, the deliverance from evil. Look at verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Every believer has been delivered from darkness. But you notice Paul doesn't say that you've been delivered from darkness. You've been delivered from the power of darkness. Now, darkness is the opposite of light. Christ is the light of the world. So this darkness Paul is talking about is everything that's the opposite of Christ. The power of Satan. The power of sin. The power of your fallen nature. The power of the darkness of your unbelief. So that no matter how well the man preaches, you cannot see. You will not believe because of the power of unbelief. It's the power of ignorance. It's the power of the darkness of hell. In Matthew 25, our Lord called hell outer darkness. It's the power of that outer darkness in hell. And all those things have a powerful hold on us by nature. We cannot deliver ourselves from the power of darkness, the power of sin and Satan and our fallen nature. Light came into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. That's the power of the darkness that's got a hold on us by nature. But God in his power has delivered his people from the dominion, the power of Satan. He's delivered us from the power of sin. Sin shall no more have dominion over you. He's delivered us from that power. He's delivered us from the power of our fallen nature, He's delivered us from the blinding power of unbelief and given us eyes. He's delivered us from the the power of ignorance so that we can grow in knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And he has translated us. He's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. He's translated. He's moved us from the kingdom of darkness and moved us into the kingdom of his dear son so that we have a new citizenship. We don't belong there anymore. He's given us a new citizenship. He moved us into the kingdom of his dear son. And we give thanks that God's our king. We are under his dominion. Now, we're not in heaven yet. Pretty easy to see. You know, just look around. We're not in heaven yet. But every believer is a citizen of the kingdom of God's Son. Give thanks. Oh, what a blessing. And fourth, chiefly, we give thanks for the root of every blessing. Paul kind of approached this backward. First, he's talked about the fruit of everything. Now he gets to the root. This is the root of every blessing, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, every spiritual blessing that God has for a sinner can be found in the first two words of verse 14. In whom? That's where they all are. In the Lord Jesus Christ. We're redeemed from sin through the blood of the sacrifice of the Lamb. In whom? In his, through his blood. In Christ, we're redeemed from the damning power of sin. We're redeemed from the controlling power of sin. And one day we'll be redeemed 
from even the very presence of sin. You're redeemed from sin. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. In whom? Because Christ was made a curse for us. We are redeemed from any obligation to the law. Don Fortner made this statement last week. In Christ, the law is obliterated. You have no ties, no responsibility to the law. In whom? Because Christ fulfilled the law for his people. We are redeemed from every accusation of the law. The law cannot make an accusation against anyone in Christ. In whom? Because Christ stood condemned for us. In Christ, we're redeemed from death. God's holy law can never require my eternal death. In whom? If Christ died as my substitute. We're redeemed from death. The sins of God's elect are forgiven. Our debt is forgiven. The debt's paid by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now give thanks. Oh, give thanks for him. This is why I said a minute ago, don't get too caught up in the blessings. Give thanks for the blesser. If, give thanks for him. If you have him, you have everything. Now, let me ask you a question. How secure is a believer in Christ? How secure is your salvation? Well, your salvation is just as secure as your Savior, isn't it? If you saved yourself through doing A, B, and C and keeping the law and cleaning up and doing right, your salvation is just as secure as you. Hope you don't get Alzheimer's and ruin it. Hope you don't fall like David fell. Your salvation is just as secure as your Savior. And if Christ is your Savior, bless your heart, you are plumb saved. I mean completely secure in Him. Look at the description of our Savior Paul gives in these next verses. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? The Lord Jesus Christ is God. He's God in human flesh, and he's king. This word firstborn here is king. You know, in these days, the firstborn got everything. The firstborn was the king of the family. He's the priest of the family. He means the king here. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is king. He's in absolute control over everything. He got, he inherited, he received from his father everything that belongs to God. All things are delivered into my hands. Is that what he said? What belongs to God? Everything. <laughs> then we must be secure in him. He's God. He's in control of everything. He'll not lose one. Verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. It took some power to create this universe, didn't it? I mean, I try to imagine it sometimes. This black hole with nothing in it. I mean, it's completely void. And God said, let there be light. 
<laughs> there was light. God said, let the earth appear. God said, let the dry land appear. God said, let the trees grow. God said, let the... And it was. Unspe- I mean, I can't imagine that there's nothing. And God said, let it be. And it was there. The power that it took to create this world out of nothing pales in comparison to the power that God uses to save his people from their sins. I believe he's got the power saved, don't you? (laughs) We're secure in his might. And verse 17, and he's before all things, and by him all things consist. You know, I was watching a thing on the NASA channel just yesterday, and the... I think it was this space lab or whatever they got. But anyway, it's circling the earth. And they showed pictures, you know. And there that ball is. And it's just hanging there. On what? The power of the word of Christ. It's just hanging there on his power. All those planets and asteroids and the sun, all this stuff floating around in space. It's not in chaos. It's all right where it's supposed to be because of the power of his. By him, all things consist. That power pales in comparison to the power with which Christ holds his people. No man can pluck them out of my hand. Doug, I think we're secure, don't you? I think we are. In him, verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Everything is in Christ. All fullness is in him. Then if you're in him, you're full. If you're in him, you have everything. If you're the body, you have everything the head has. Well, he's the body. He's the head, we're the body. We have everything he has. Oh, that's reason to give thanks. Be thankful. Give thanks unto the Father. And verse 20, and having made peace. There's something we can give thanks for, to have peace. He made peace through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, when Christ died, at that moment when Christ died, there were believers in glory. Now, they were there because in God's eye, the transaction was paid. But in time, that payment had to be made. When he died, he paid the price for everything, for things in heaven and things in earth. Those believers in heaven, at that moment, the price was paid. Abel, been there a long time, the price was paid. Moses, price was paid. All the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the price was paid, reconciled. And on earth, James, John, and even Peter, who had denied him. When the Lord rose, he said, tell my disciples and Peter, oh, tell Peter, I've come, I've come back. You want a greater miracle in God saving Peter? Look, verse 21. And you, and you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, hath he reconciled. And you, 
Oh, that's a greater, that's a greater miracle than Peter and you. He, Christ in his death has reconciled you to God. Now you be reconciled to him. And that reconciliation came at a great cost. Oh, great cost. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death, through his suffering, through his death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. This redemption, this reconciliation, this peace with God took the awful, bloody sacrifice of our Lord. It took the butchering of our Lord in order to pay the price for the sin debt of his people. And in him, Christ has made every believer, not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you and me, believers, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. Not in my sight. In my sight, unblameable. In my sight, I don't see any holiness. In my sight, unreprovable, believe me. But not in our sight. In his sight, the only sight that matters. In his sight, in Christ. Oh, give thanks. Give thanks. And look at verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, made a minister. Now you know this is not saying... If you continue in the faith, you'll receive all these blessings. You know, God saved you, he's given you all these blessings, and you'll keep them if you continue in the faith. No, that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, if Christ died for you, and if he reconciled you to God, if he made peace with God for you, you will continue in the faith. I guarantee it. You will continue in the faith. God will see to it. He will never let his son Die in vain. You will continue in the faith if Christ died for you. Now someone, people say, this question has been asked to me a number of times. You you think so-and-so is a believer? You think so-and-so over here knows Christ? I don't know. Simply don't know. Check back with me. I used to say, (laughs) check back with me in 20 years. As I get a little older, I say, check back with him about 30 years. A couple years from now, I say, check back with him about 40 years. I was talking to a preacher uh, a little over a month ago. He said he'd been going to a place, you know, never heard the gospel before. And people come up to him and say, I believe this gospel you're preaching. I believe it. I believe it's so. I believe it's my salvation. And he says, that's good. I'm glad. And on the inside, he says, we'll see. We'll see. Check back with me in about 20, 30 years. If they're still here, still in faith, still looking to Christ, still fruitful in every good work, still growing in grace and the knowledge of Christ, give thanks. That's the work of the Father. That is a work of His grace, His saving, keeping power. Giving thanks unto the Father. God, make it so in our hearts. All right. Lord bless you.